ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our special guest is Els Ertz, a famous usability expert and speaker and co-founder of AG Consult, a Belgium-based usability and conversion agency, and I'm thrilled to have her today to talk about effective website navigation. Hi, Els. Hi, Jane. You're, you're very sweet of you to call me famous. Um, <laughs> too sweet, but there you go. <laughs> All right, now let's start with the big question. What do you do and why we called you famous? <laughs> what does AG Consult do and what do you do personally? Okay. Well, AG Consult was, well, I founded AG Consult together with my business partner, Carol Hillis, back in 2001. So quite a, quite a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, we pretty much thought we had invented usability. Yes, we were, we were young, we were young and we were, we were, we were quite full of ourselves, I think. Um, but then we discovered awesome people like Jacob Neal and Jared Spool and Jerry McGovern and we realized oh we, we did not think of this ourselves this is actually a whole field but we we completely basically launched ourselves uh, into the business with a huge study of a hundred Belgian websites which we researched which was also quite good to sort of hone our skills in in user research and in usability um, and that actually that put us on the map in uh, in Belgium back then and we've basically been doing the same thing ever since improving websites usability improving conversion rates making the structure information architecture for new websites which for me it all falls under the same umbrella, making sure that people can find what they're looking for and that people have basically a good experience on your website. Fantastic. I imagine with such authority in the field, you're working with pretty large uh, enterprise clients these days. Uh, yeah, this 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 was actually quite a surprise to us as well in the beginning because we thought, oh, we're, we're we're a very small company. We were uh, we were just two people for a very long time. Um, we've only started taking on staff for about five years ago, and we're still very small. We're still only ten people because we think it's very important to. Well, have a have a have a dedicated and an expert team, um, and apparently we're we're not easy to work with. <laughs> well, or, uh, we, we think quality is very important. So, and it's true. We've we've actually had the bigger clients right from the start. Um, companies like, for example, um, yeah, Atlas Copco or Bridgestone that we did user testing for. Uh, at the moment, we're working for Garglas and. Our information architecture projects have usually always been for, well, large government agencies. Um, so, yeah, the Flemish Parliament, for example, or uh, a number of Flemish uh, provinces are the Department of Education, uh, projects like that. Fantastic. Could you give us a bit insight? What do you typically do? Uh, it's usability research, uh, but generally speaking, how does it translate to everyday activities? Um, well, it, it sort of depends from project to project. There, there are very small projects, people who are just interested in getting a quick review of their of their existing website, and then we can either you know do 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 heuristic evaluation, 
um, which is always my least favorite way because I prefer to, to get users involved. Um, so, the, so I try to convince uh, our clients more and more of the, yeah, the importance of doing of doing user research, so, so that you have at least some basis in actual fact to base your recommendations on. So, we try to always combine it with log file analysis, uh, heat maps user session recordings, a number of surveys. Um, and in our information architecture projects, well, that is that that is always the, the starting point. We start with basically doing our top task survey, which is mm, a sort of a variation on uh, yeah, a methodology that uh, Jerry McGovern uh, uses as well. Ours is different, but it's basically the principles are the same, finding out what are the absolutely top tasks that the majority of your people visit your website for. We combine that with, again, Google Analytics data. And of course, we talk to the people in the company as well, because sometimes you can... Um, you can find real discrepancies and differences in between what the numbers uh, that the users are providing you basically are saying and what, what a company um, feels like like is important. And it's, it's, it's interesting to get to the bottom of that. But when we do our information architecture projects, so the user research is very important as a start. And then we just basically, yeah, do our thing with that and use that data as the starting point to build our navigation, to build our structure, of course, to then refine with user testing, depending on the complexity of the project that can be uh perhaps online card sorting or uh, an online tree structure test. It's more often a tree structure test than card sorting, uh, to be honest. Um, and I really like I, I really like the Optimal Workshop set of tools for that. I don't know if you if you know them. It's um, TreeJack is their tree testing software. Uh -huh. huge, huge fan of that one. Um, and they have Optimal Sort, which is their online card sorting uh, tool. So those for me are two of the, the great great tools in, the, in that suite. Uh, and it's, it's just very easy to, to do iterative testing that way. Because sometimes you, you need to test your structure before you start working on your on your wireframes. You need to have your structure firmly in mind to know, okay, how are we going to now visualize this? And of course, ideally, you do another, uh, at least one round of testing on your wireframes as well. Before we get, uh, get forward with the main topic, I would like to thank our big sponsor, which is Balsamic Mockups. Uh, once again, they're our sponsor today. They're the super easy to use wireframing tool that can help you and your team get your user interface ideas down before you start coding or sweating the details or fancier tools. Well, uh, and you can also test them, as you just said a few sentences ago, and I've been using Balsamic for years and can't recommend it enough. You can try it free for three months at balsamic.cloud entering the code UI breakfast. Which, which leads to a question, what wireframing tools do you prefer? <laughs> um, well, we um, usually now mostly use Axure um, mm -hmm. because uh, for the more complex interactions, we find, it, we find it the most useful, even though, let's be honest here, everybody who's ever used Axure knows it is not the most user-friendly tool. <laughs> Itself. Um, <laughs> uh, nope, uh, not at all. 
I completely agree that Balsamic has has the edge on that. It's much more user-friendly to use. And if you don't need those yeah, super complex interactions, then I think Balsamic is, is, is actually a, a great way to go as well. Uh, sometimes we use Envision, um, but since because we're not really making the wireframes already in a graphical design, we mm-hmm. think that's, that, that's, an, that's another discipline. For us, actually, Axure uh, usually works best. Awesome. Now let's go back to effective website navigation. Uh, I don't think that needs to be explained as a term. So first I would love to hear if you were to design navigation from scratch for a new project, is there any typical process you follow at your company? Yeah, well, first of all, we'd, we'd have a, a talk with the client and see, because sometimes you think, oh, this is their website, this is what they do. Um, and then you have a talk with them and you find out something completely different <laughs> or that they have, or maybe they have different plans. So it's obviously very important to, to, to get an idea of what the company really does, what their plans are for the foreseeable future so that you also make a navigation that, that, is, that can possibly grow with them. Um, and then it is diving into the data. It's doing your research. And uh, as I said, I think the top task survey and in combination with uh, Google Analytics is actually a great way to get started. Of course, next to the sexy work, your inventory, uh, your content inventory of, uh, of, of all your pages. How do you usually do that? Does the client typically come to you with the list of pages or sections on their website they'd love to have? Or do you advise uh, to, to, to somehow correct those? Um, well, we, we basically, well, our, our, our senior uh, information architect, he pulls the data from the website. So we get a complete overview of everything. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if you have a very, very large website, it is actually almost not feasible to have a look at every single page because yeah time hello so it is very important to do those to do that actual analysis in analytics and with the surveys first to real to to really know okay what are the what are the the top tasks what what at the moment are the the topics or uh, the sections of the website that are most visited and are most important and then you have a check with the client does this you know um is this also your experience? Yes or no? What we don't, oh, and this sounds very unkind to our clients, but we don't think it's our client's choice to make the navigation. We think it's our client's client's choice. Mm-hmm. So um, sometimes a company might say, oh, but I would really like to have this in the menu. And then we go, yeah, but no, because... Very typical example, and this was um, a project a couple of years ago, large government agencies, and they had brochures for, you know, everything and, and, and anything in PDF, of course, uh, because, <laughs> yeah, duh, um, and they, they wanted to put them on the website as well, because, you know, this had all the information about a certain topic. And I said, well, that's good. Let's have a look at your brochures. The brochures were actually quite good, but I said, we need to make, we need to turn these into web pages so that the content is actually on your website and people don't have to download a brochure. They're not here to download a brochure. And, of course, we presented them the, the, the main navigation, the structure, and, like, where are the brochures? Where are the brochures? Like, yeah, actually, <laughs> if we have a look at our data, if we have a look at our survey answers, 
Actually, only two people out of 3,000 answers say they're looking for a brochure or actually use the word brochure. Oh, wait a second. One of these people said, I'm looking for information to include in our brochure. That doesn't even mean they're looking for a brochure. So, no, people want answers to their questions. They're not looking for a specific um, type of format that that needs to come in. Uh, and, I mean, my God, brochures, really? I may have started in 2001, but we have moved on since then. So very often it is you need to, and I think this is normal, you need to educate um, the client and say, okay, we're going to base this on user input. We're going to base this on what we as information architects know to be best practices. We're not just going to do what you say because you know what, you might like us now, but when the website goes live and you have a lot of calls to your help desk and you have a lot of people who can't find what they're looking for, you won't like us anymore. So we go for sometimes awkward moments during the project so we can have a good project in the end because that's ultimately what it's all about, that we make a structure uh, that really works for not our clients themselves, but the clients of our clients. I don't want to. Leave, I don't want to even go into that topic of being <laughs> rough with your clients on your decisions because it's <laughs> way easier said than done. I'm sure your authority plays, you know, big role in that, being assertive about your decisions. Oh, uh, it's 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 true, and sometimes this this. But the point is, if you have your research, that's very important. What 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 can. What you can't let it descend into is a sort of, yes, but I think this, but we think that, and, you know, but, 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 no. I am completely happy to set aside any preconceived notion I have if there is data to convince me of of the opposite. And usually, and maybe maybe I should I should knock on wood here uh, because our clients uh, do um, listen to data and and do listen to to those to that evidence that we bring to the table. And so that's that's uh, that that's a that's a very important one, I think, to to indeed convince your client to make a decision that maybe they didn't think of themselves, or maybe is indeed a lot different than how they always used to do it, which is never an excuse for anything. <laughs> All right. Uh- now that I have a huge benefit of having a guest who's been in the industry for so long, I can't help but ask you what the modern patterns are in website navigation and how do you see them evolve over the years and what trends have you observed come and go over all the time in website navigation? Oh, wow. Um, that is a, that is a big question there, Jane. Um, <laughs> um, well, I think when I started out, um, I don't think you want to go that far back, that far back actually, but when I started out, we still had the menu on the left side mm-hmm. and sometimes you had menus that were like 40, 45 items. Oh, right. man. I, I know. Um, because everybody thought my entire structure has to be visualized at once. This will make it easy for the user, which, of course, completely is not the case. Uh, visualizing your entire structure uh, at once is, is not necessarily easy. But So I come from the world of left-hand navigation. Yes. Um <laughs> I think most. I think at the, at the moment, I can I can think of. Oh, I can't even think of sites that still have left-hand main navigation. Mm. No, I can't. So, went to top menu. Um, 
I saw a lot of fly open menus, like really, really big fly open menus, uh, where at a certain point you sort of go, really, if you want to say all of that in your fly over menu, why not have people <laughs> click on the item and send them to a page where you can properly explain what you're obviously trying to cram into this huge flyover here. So we saw that. And uh, a very worrying thing I see now, uh, which is happening, is that people are starting to treat desktop navigation like mobile navigation. People are, are starting to uh, use that awful hamburger icon uh -huh. on a desktop, desktop site to sort of... Yeah, and then you have to click it, and then it slides open on the left, and you go like, no. There is a reason why it works on mobile, and it's because you have a small screen. There is no reason at all to do that on desktop. So it's, it's just like in the past, people try to force certain things from desktop onto mobile and disregarding the fact that it's, that it's just a different environment. I feel now sometimes people who think mobile first think mm -hmm. you have to do everything that's good on mobile and just, you know, transpose that on desktop. And I think that's an equally, equally bad idea, actually. So I'm not a big fan of those. And I've, we've done a number of user testing where people also get quite confused and, Like you and I, we talk about the hamburger menu as if it's, you know, uh, of course, completely normal. And everybody knows that. But it's, it really, really isn't. Um, and doing a lot of user testing really helps you, I feel, uh, stay grounded and realize that, indeed, yeah, not everyone is as expert as you yourself might be. Sometimes we get uh, designers, uh, particularly UX designers, who have all kinds of extraordinary UX experiences on their website, including the most exotic navigation you can think of. I can't even think of examples because they all differ. Uh -huh. Do you have an uh -huh. opinion on that? Because I'm a totally conservative person and that makes me go wild. <laughs> ah, oh, oh, Jane, I am completely in your camp on this. Um, see, the thing is, I am, I am, I am all for uh, new interface uh, elements and new techniques but only if they work, not to do it only if they solve a particular problem that, you know, you can't solve any other way. But why on earth you would do something extremely special with your menu is just beyond me. Uh, just keep it basic, keep it simple, make sure you put it in the spot where people expect it to be. If I see another home button on the top right corner or in, in your bloody footer, I'm going to go absolutely mental. It should be in the top left. And yes, somewhere on your site, <laughs> there should be a link to home, you know, not on your homepage and doesn't even have to be in your main menu. But then you need a breadcrumb. Then you need a bread trail navigation because People also always assume, oh, but everybody knows you can click the logo to go to the homepage. Once more, no, not everybody does. Yes, I know it's 2018. No, not everybody does. Just chill. Just follow those absolutely basic rules because seriously, oh, this is another thing. People, why, why, why all of a sudden are there so many websites that leave out the breadcrumb trail? Super useful, super handy. Oh my god! Yeah, no, I'm com I'm completely with you. The basics are the basics for a reason because they help people um, 
it gives that, I think it's what Jarrett Spool calls the scent of information. If there's an indication visually of where you are in the main menu, that helps you see, ah, I'm here. If your logo of your website is in the top left corner, again, Jacob Nielsen did research on this not too long ago, I think. Was it last year, year before? Anyway, also good for your branding. A lot of those basically standards are standards for a reason, and it's a good thing to follow those. So, yeah, I'm, I'm conservative like you, Jane. Great. You pointed out uh, uh, the most common standards, which is having, you know, logo on the left, things on the right, uh, breadcrumbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, bread and could you give us examples of most common mistakes uh, or, or other, you know, flaws you find very commonly on your client sites? Well, what I see very often is, um, yeah, sort of the missing home button that's, that's, or the missing link to home, which is very annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, what I also see is people get completely carried away with navigation there and they have two, three, four different sets of navigation. You have your main menu at the top, but then they also have another menu um, with maybe more like a toolbar uh, with little icons at the top as well. But then they have something, uh, something else or it, or it slides open and there's just, <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and on some websites, the actual navigation takes up a third of your screen space on desktop. And you're like, seriously, It's not that important. You know, it should help people find their way. But once they've clicked on something, their attention should be brought to the content of the page. So I think providing the right amount of navigation at the right time is absolutely crucial. And that is something that uh, that, that I still see going wrong uh, quite a lot. So too much navigation. Navigation versus search. You had a great article about that, and I'm going to link to that. But could you recap the key points? Can search replace navigation? Never. Um, No, never. Uh, I think also anybody who has a look at their own analytics will probably see that the majority of the webs, the visitors to your websites come via search, uh, at least if, if you're somewhat <laughs> SEO friendly. And a lot of people <laughs> will, will even come typing in, of course, your own brand name or maybe even www.yourbrandname.com because they're just not used to typing it in the browser. But, <laughs> but, but then have a look at your own search feature your internal search and have a look and see how many people use that. And unless you are like what I would call a site where basically search is the main activity, like maybe your, um, store amazon.com or something yeah, something yeah something like that for example uh or yeah you're sort of like a real estate website where of course you have mm-hmm. you have an extensive search feature but you know if you're just any corporate website any government website you will see that usually the amount of people the percentage of your visitors who use your search feature is quite low and actually i would say it should be below two digits anything over 10% of people who search usually indicates shit's hard to find via your navigation and you will very often see that a lot of people type in the same words and this is actually i think internal search is a great tool 
to help improve your navigation. Because usually when people don't find what they're looking for, that's when they head to the search feature. Or when they're looking for something super specific, that's when they head to the search feature. But for most people, it is actually a lot easier to find their way through a website clicking on links because it's a lot less... Um, it takes a lot less of thinking, actually, <laughs> because the only thing you have to do is recognize the thing that you're looking for. If you have to use the search feature, you have to think of a very good search query, a good word to type in. You have to know how to spell that word very often, because let's face it, a lot of uh, internal search features just aren't very good and don't have uh, um, a, a good fallback for errors. So mm -hmm. it, it's actually for people a lot more easy to just click through the website, navigate through it instead of actively searching. We see that also very often during uh, during during user testing. Now, some people are complete search nuts. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, well, I'm a little bit like this, um, <laughs> so I'm not I'm, I'm not like the majority of, of test users that that we see. But on an information website, people just yeah, don't use the search feature. They click through the links. Um, and if they do use the search, it is because they're either stuck or because they're looking for something very specific. Thank you for clarifying on that. That's not now makes everything much clearer in my eyes, for sure. <laughs> Next question. So let's decompose the classic navigation. So we only have that top line to ourselves. And according mm -hmm. to, to the best IS standards, we have, uh, you know, five to seven items to place in there. Where does the rest go? Uh, is there a rich footer navigation? Is there rich drop downs? Uh, what is your, do you have any common recommendations or does it differ dramatically from project to project? Well, I, I think there's there's a there's a difference um, how important navigation is to have on your site at all times. Indeed, whether what type of website that you are. Mm -hmm. For for example, if you're a commercial website, and I have Googled maybe um, oh, God knows what. Let's say uh, Nike Nike shoes, and I've come to I've come to to your big shopping website, and you have Nike. Um, well, then, or, or you have shoes, um, I can tell you that it is always a good idea to tell me that you have dresses and handbags as well, because, aha, yes, indeed, I can be tempted to perhaps shop for those as well. If you don't tell me in your menu that you also have clothing and other types of accessories, then I might not know that. If you just send me to the, the detail page of your Nike shoe and you don't show me your navigation, that's not a good idea. Whereas on a government website, if I need to renew my driver's license, guess what? <laughs> As a government institution, you will not be able to seduce me to also renew maybe my travel visa. You know, <laughs> we've got some really sexy travel visas for you else. Now, so if I just Google driver's license, the name of my of my city, which is where I need to go then that's it. The only thing I need to see on that page is actually the information about renewing my driver's license. Everything I need to know about that. I don't really need to see any other menu items because they would just get in the way of me doing my task for this. Um, and so we actually, we have done a project for um, 
yeah, government organization, uh, social housing, where there is no main menu. Uh, we user tested this, and this was this was this was I loved this because this was our first uh, our own project where we where we had assessed based on the research that we wouldn't need uh, a main menu. But we'd never done user testing on our own project like that, and none of the users, none of them, even remarked on the fact that there was no main menu. Plus, they were able to find their way perfectly through clicking basically on categories on the homepage, mm-hmm. on the overview pages, and using the breadcrumb to go back to where they wanted to go on a higher level. So basically, the principle of gov.uk, the the portal side of the British government, it was more or less like that. Um, so they also have basically their categories on the homepage, and you click through that. And once you're on a detail page, you have your top, you have your logo on the left, you have your beautiful breadcrumb. But what you don't have is a continuous menu standing up, sitting up there. Because for a government agency, very often it doesn't make sense to have that up there the whole time. Because people usually come for one very specific task. Let them do that as fast and efficiently as possible and let them leave. You know, you're not trying to sell anything. What you're, tr- what you need to provide is is service to citizens, and you do that by yeah lessening their cognitive load and by giving them the space to do their task. Commercially, different story. Fantastic. Uh, there was a trend of uh, landing pages with the navigation placed somewhere in the bottom instead of on the top. Because because of that, is that a similar story? Do you still believe in that, or do you think that landing pages, when people arrive from Google, let's say, they need to have context? Well, I think I'm answering my question right now myself. <laughs> <laughs> so again, that's the same story, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, and again, it's it sort of depends what kind of what is it a landing page for a very for a very simple product? Then you don't need navigation uh, at all. Is it a landing page for a quite complex project uh, product, for example? Then you could have maybe what I call in-page navigation, and you could also have that with within a website, not if it's pure a standalone um, landing page. But then you have to think very carefully: Do I really need this, and how prominent does this need to be? Uh, it's also not because some, you might need a certain amount of in-page navigation. It, how in your face this needs to be completely depends on. Yeah, what what the page is about and what the user wants to do on that page. There is a lot of uh, SaaS founders in our audience, and there are a lot of SaaS companies that have multiple products under the same umbrella brand, which mm-hmm. leads to to quite large complexity because each product needs to have its own features, pricing, you know, and support. Maybe support mm-hmm. is common. So mm-hmm. each product ne- needs its own menu while you still want to talk about the company as a whole. Do you have any great good practices for that? Well, I think this is actually, this 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 that ties in really well with, with the previous one. Uh, when people come to your homepage, what you need to tell them is, look, we're company X and we have product A, B, and C. And product A, I don't know, does this, this, product B, does that, product C, does that. Now, I, as a client, if I then choose to go with B, you should let me focus entirely on B. And this means the only menu items you should show me are menu items that are about B. 
don't all of a sudden start telling don't don't feel the need to draw me back into the other products don't feel the need to draw me into your corporate story i have chosen b give me what i want because then then you then there's a far greater chance that that I will actually become a, a customer of B, that I will actually download the free trial for B or become a freemium um, client. If you try to distract me with a lot of stuff, no. First, you have to give me what I want. And I've, I've made that choice usually on, on your homepage or I have clicked on an ad. Um, if I've clicked on one of your ads for product, for product B, my God, why would you even consider talking to me about CRA? You know, you can do that at the at the end. You can do that at the bottom of a page where you where you, where you perhaps tell everything about product B, and you say, "Doesn't this doesn't this sound exactly what you're looking for?" Well, then maybe you could have a look at product A, where we do this and this, or product C, where this and this. But to only have it as completely sort of like backdoor fallouts, the main focus should always be. On well, basically, the the choice the user has made, the product uh, that he or she has chosen. That's great advice, and I I love that you are so certain about giving that because founders <laughs> they struggle with this dilemma every time, like it's a new one, uh, and myself included, because we we try to approach every every new product uh, separately. For example, sometimes there is a flagship product, and they think uh, it deserves you know special treatment because of that in the navigation, for example. Well, if it if you if it's your flagship product, then I'm guessing it will be number what the first item in your main menu, and mm-hmm. it might take up it might take up more space on your homepage. But once I have decided not to go for your flagship project, once I have expressed interest in the other product, mm-hmm. then then just my God, why else are you selling it to me? If you're if all you're trying to do on the pages of B and C is try and sell me A, ugh, no, that's weird. One topic I wanted to touch upon, and I'm, I'm so thankful I don't work with e-commerce at all, but, <laughs> but you know, if, if someone would approach me with, with designing a, a store with multiple categories and filters and all this stuff, I would just mm. go crazy because I don't know what the pre- best practice is. There is so much to show and uh, we have to go back to this left-hand bar with filters and stuff mm-hmm. or... How do we even, like, what are the main principles there in the stores? Well, filters are indeed a great, for, for, for big e-commerce stores, filters are a great way to, to, to do that. And again, see, I'm a very big fan of filters on the left. And we've done user testing on this as well. Filters on the right has never worked as well as filters on the left. Mm-hmm. I'm actually not personally the biggest fan of filters at the top of the page. But I have to tell you, in some cases, when there's a limited amount of filters, that actually works really, really well. And it's it, it, sometimes it is the best place to put them. Um, but for the really big, like an Amazon, like mm-hmm. uh, coolblueaball.com, um, filters on the left are great. What is important there is, is, and basically the story is always the same, is not to let the filters be dictated by the items in your database by the fields there by but by what is important for people when they are choosing this project this product uh, we, we recently did user testing on a big uh, e-commerce website in Belgium actually 
and the people were looking for a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> and they said, well, actually, I'm looking for a vacuum cleaner that's quite light because I sometimes get a hernia in my back and, you know, dragging around this very heavy uh, vacuum cleaner doesn't help. So I want to fill, be able to filter on the weight of the vacuum cleaner. This is a very common thing. I want to be able to filter on, because I don't have a lot of uh, plugs in my house, I want to filter on the length of the cable. I want to have a vacuum cleaner with a very long cable so I'm not forever plugging it in, plugging it out again. These are basically filters that are driven by the actual use of the product, that are driven by actual user needs and not, okay, what do we have of information about this vacuum cleaner? Kilowatts. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kilowatts. <laughs> Who the hell knows what that is anyway? I mean, seriously, how many people choose a vacuum cleaner based on kilowatts? No, you might want to say, you know, is it, how strong, how powerful is it? You know, if you have to, if you have, have to vacuum a house with, with, uh, with three dogs, I think you might want a really powerful vacuum cleaner. If you're somebody who lives alone and you're generally quite, you know, you don't, you, you don't lose hair uh, like a dog, then maybe you could do with a lighter uh, volume um, vacuum cleaner. But indeed, um, to, to really use categories that speak to users, that speak to users' problems, because when they're buying a product, nine times out of 10, that is because that product needs to solve a problem that they have. So... Have you actually it, seen stores that do that? <laughs> because it imposes a whole new, uh, whole new task on the on the people who fill in the store to to assign those categories to classify the goods according to the categories. This is impossibly yes. hard. <laughs> um, well, it it does take a it does take a lot of work, and the the main problem for uh, there is that it isn't sexy work. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of people like to do what I call sexy work. Um, and sexy work is things like making a good looking um, wizard for finding the right um, vacuum cleaner, like screen one, three images. Which type of home do you have? It doesn't bloody matter. That's not that's not important <laughs> when people choose a vacuum cleaner. But that is what that sort of like visually beautiful um lots of copywriting but we don't need that what we need on an e-commerce website is good navigation in the shape of filters and yes that means you have to go into your database and you have to see okay what are all the characteristics that the that we already have of these different vacuum cleaners oh okay these people listed as a to e um the, the 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 capability of of using your vacuum cleaner on carpet, for example. Well, A to E, that doesn't make sense to people. Maybe we should say uh, cleans carpet okay, (laughs) well, very well, very well, I understand. Very well, everybody understands. A category from A to E, for God's sakes, no. (laughs) So, yeah, it is is a lot of work. You're absolutely right in that. But it is very valuable work. It is very useful work. Only it's not work that is... Yeah, very visible in a in a in a, in a visual way because you know those filters they're just a list of filters and people just you know ch- check the box. But awesome work to do. One quick question: Do you have any research uh, on hand that shows whether you should update the filters instantly once you select something, or it will whether you should have that submit or show button? 
Um, well, I think that well, it, this is this is well for desktop and mobile because filters on on mobile is is something uh, also that a lot of people I feel still don't do very well uh, because we have that limited amount of space. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I think it's very important to sort of with every category that you show as a filter, you, you give people the choice, you know, submit this filter because indeed I might be on your shoe section, but uh, I am I am I am in the mood for anything from sandals to, <laughs> to, to pumps to booties. Just give it to me. All I, all I want to give you is my size or, you know, I want to select first the category. Yes, but then I want to keep doing filters and then you have to keep me in your filters so it's either yes submit or choose another filter um, on desktop i would say it should be immediate it is what we see in in our user testing it's what people expect they click a filter they see the list change and you should also of course have the rest of your filters change if certain things or uh, if for example with the vacuum cleaners if you say that you want a vacuum cleaner that um is works really well on carpet and that you don't have that below a certain that you that that only the very noisy ones do that for example because that's (laughs) another yeah sorry that's another thing that people find uh important in vacuum cleaners and i understand um that it's very loud yeah then then that should be a non-selectable filters the the whole thing with filters that is that it should be impossible to make combinations that get you zero results well, thank you for, for all the insights. I'm quite sure we could talk another few hours about navigation, about another <laughs> 10 hours about e-commerce specifically. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, we have to wrap up today's episode. Uh, are there any resources or blogs or books that will give people you know, more reading on the topic? Well, I'm I'm going to have to reference my old heroes because they're they're they they still publish really great work, and I would say Jacob Nielsen, Jared Spool, and Jerry McGovern as absolute um, yeah people who have basically done awesome work uh, in and on navigation on structure. Um, we also have, um, if you're, if you want to find out more about how to do user research on how to find your best structure, best, uh, information architecture, mm-hmm. um, we have an, an academy, um, academy.agconsult.com and we have a, a video training in English about user research. And especially for all the listeners, I will, uh, give you a promo code, which is the wonderful UI breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, and this code will be val- valid until the end of June. So you've got some time, but not all the time in the world. Um, and how, how lovely would it be, Jane, to watch that video training on a holiday on a beach? Amazing. <laughs> With margarita in my hands or pina colada, right? Yeah. <laughs> totally kidding. Do something different during your holidays. But it's a, it's a good training. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. I know it's a generous discount you're giving. Thank you. That's very, very nice of you. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's a 200 euro discount that we'll be giving. So, uh, yeah, don't spread the word too widely, uh, I'd say. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, thank you so much, Els, for, for your insight. Um, are there any personal accounts that people can follow if they would love to hear more of you? Yeah, sure. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, which is else underscore acts. Um, I, I don't know if you're if you're in in um, in Canada. I'll be speaking at the 
CTA conference organized mm-hmm. by Unbounce. Mm-hmm. It's at the end of, at the end of August. And there's some other conferences in Europe, but which I can't announce just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I'll 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 be around. I'll be around. If you if you follow my Twitter, you'll know you'll know where I'll be. You can also Google for for your talks. I know there is there are quite a few videos online that people can watch. <laughs> Yeah, again, don't do it on your holidays, but yeah, you can watch this. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you once again, Else, and oh, that was amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Jane. Thank you. Have a great day. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It will help other people discover this podcast.